0: Okay. I know we are light right now. Glad you are here, Laney. But uh, for those of you who watch this on the playback and people who come in a little bit late, uh, I'm going to start out just giving a few general remarks because um, I know people will come in here and, and I don't want to lose too much in the the formal introduction, but about, gosh, it must be a year and a half now, maybe even two years ago. Uh, one of my coaches who really wants to differentiate in, um, you know, customer service, really, really building relationships with clients. Uh, I was working with him in my apex coach business development program. So he is a coach who has his own business and we were just talking about differential uh, you know, what, what's, what, what are people going to know you for? What do you really bring to the table? That's a specialization. And, and we really centered on, and I agreed with him, that his, his big focus already is, and his passion is for, customer service. So in just brainstorming ways to uh, make that more relevant to his clients, make it more knowable to potential clients, we were brainstorming about what, what we could do. And and I just brought up the idea, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could do some social science research and and really start to zero in on what makes clients more successful, more from just as as a lot of quantitative research indicates, a certain diet method and so forth. But you know, what what are some of the skills, the coaching skills? So he thought that was a great idea. I pulled in Kevin Brunacini, who is my co-coach in the Flexible Dieting Institute, because for his PhD, uh, that's one of the things he did. He created an assessment tool for uh, long-term diet maintenance success. So I had these guys in my pocket and thought, okay, now how are we going to do this? What are we going to actually do? And so I contacted another friend, Dr. Eric Helms, who's a research fellow at the Auckland um, you know, uh, Institute of Technology. And he said, yeah, I, that sounds amazing. And of course, I always have graduate students working on dissertations. Let me see if I have anybody interested in something like this. So uh, the, the short version is two different graduate students wanted to do something like this. And they did two entirely different studies. I'm going to focus on one this week, and I'll probably go into the second half of it next week. And this particular one is... Um, as I'll scroll down here and let you see the actual study title. Uh, The Effect of Client-Practitioner Relationships on Weight Loss and Weight Maintenance in Online Weight Loss. And, And I want to give you just a little bit of a background because remember, personal nutrition coaching did not exist 20 years ago. 15 years ago, it was just starting to kind of hit uh, not, not even the mainstream, just, you know, some people were starting to follow in my footsteps and do this. And part of it was because our company, the diet doc created a licensing program, unless you are a medical doctor or a registered dietitian at that time, all 50 States were very clear because at that time, what was the American dietetic association had created legislation in every state to say, unless you're an RD or an MD, you cannot do nutrition consulting. So as a path forward for people, because so many of my clients and my friends, my peers who were coaches and trainers in different areas, gym owners, uh, they saw what I was doing in my space in Evansville, Indiana with nutrition coaching. And, and I was creating weight loss programs that were very successful. Uh, prior to that, of course, I had created the concept of macronutrient tracking as a diet methodology. I had created flexible dieting as a methodology. So I was using those and I was writing about those in the, in the magazines. So everywhere I would go speak, uh, people would say, how can I do this? I wanna do this, how, you know, help, help me. You, you should franchise Joe. And so we created this licensing program 18 or so years ago. And we, I I knew we had to have an RD on staff and an MD on staff. We contracted with them to be our dietetics director and medical director, and off we went. That gave a legal ability for people to do this. Well, in the 15 ensuing years, everybody who wanted to be a nutrition coach mostly I would assume unaware of the laws, they just did it. They just started coaching. They created their own companies and brands. And even though it's highly illegal, I think by sheer mass and the old axiom that possession is nine-tenths of the law, now that there are hundreds of thousands of people out there doing this, it is so normalized that Some state legislatures have even softened the laws like they have gone back into the books and they've made a differentiation between medical nutrition therapy and just kind of general nutrition, education, coaching, not everybody, but still for somebody to get in trouble for this, you know, for a suit to be brought against them. um, I think it really takes some pretty gross negligence. There have been some cases already here in other countries um, and nobody is quote getting in trouble because hey you're doing this and you shouldn't. It's if you did something you know with with negligence or in a malpractice area, then you're you're liable still but no, nobody's saying hey there's 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 not a path forward for this so it, it's almost being treated socially like personal training. There's no governing body, there's no licensing there's you don't even have to be certified. it's just there's there's just this, thing, uh, an occupation. And hopefully you're doing it well. So that is a backdrop. That's how young this industry is. And so when Eric Helms had agreed that a couple of his graduate students would look into this, we first had to decide, and not me, I wasn't included in the studies, but, you know, he asked me, could we use your database? You're the only person who's been doing it this long. You have 20 years worth of licensed coaches, now certified coaches, a database of tens of thousands of former clients. Can we, for survey analysis, survey research, and even doing interviews, can we use your company? So, of course, since this was my idea for this research in the first place, I had to say, yes, I didn't have to, but I I, I wanted to. And I thought, this is a great idea. We, we have talked, my my internal staff and I have talked for years and years and years and years about trying to be better at collecting data. Um, how do you, how, how could we retrospectively really go back and, and try to analyze what we do well, what we don't do well, how many of our clients have maintained weight loss for certain lengths of time, It just seemed like an insurmountable task with that much history and having really not had things in place to capture that. So I was super excited that this would be done, but also you have to realize that this put me in an absolute place of terror because now somebody was going to be combing through my company and they're going to tell us the good, the bad, and the ugly and and kind of like a Yelp review. You only decide that you'll participate in something like this, the research, the survey, the interview, if you really have something horrible to say or something good to say. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm open. If, if we've done something bad, I want to know so we can make it better. And if we've done something great, I want to know that. So off we went. The, these two graduate students spent over a year doing this research and, um you know, here we are. They they just sent me the links this week and uh, they're both right around a hundred pages. So we're not going to get through this first one, as I said, all in one week, but I at least want to go through the narrative portion because this particular study, which was done by asking retroactively clients from our company and, and clients, not just of us. Again, we have, we have licensed more than 250 coaches we have certified hundreds of coaches. So this includes potentially all of their clients. These are not just my clients. They're, they're out there. I, I have no idea who answered. I have no idea who responded. All of that stuff is not disclosed to me. It goes through uh, international regulatory ethics boards and so forth. They, they have to abide by those kind of standards. So I was not involved in this whatsoever. But in this particular study, as I'm going to show you, uh it is uh the effect of client practitioner relationships on weight loss and weight maintenance, and Rosemary, who did this part ariel uh, is the the student who did the second part um this study had four components and she broke it up into four chapters so let me explain um you know those four things, but you know w- one thing worth mentioning is kind of my own personal acknowledgement is. For Eric Helms to, you know, trust our company and my resources to his students to conduct what, what is formative, you know, when, a, when a, student, a graduate student is doing research and this is their dissertation, a lot of times this, this kind of becomes the foundation of their career. This is something that they put so much time and energy into that it often creates a sense of even deeper curiosity, because now these students, if you could read this whole study, which it's open to you, um, you know they did full literature reviews on the topic. So, so Rosemary had to go through and look at every single study ever conducted on this topic. So she is well on her way to becoming an expert in this topic. So again, for, for them to all spend the time, energy, resources to dive into our company as the the, the trove to uh, to gain the research it's it's exciting it's humbling and and it forever puts us in the space now of a of a foundational part of this kind of research because as as eric said in our private conversations when it was all finished you know this really does open the door to new research because personal nutrition coaching as a legitimate occupation is so new and you're the only guy who's been around for 20 years collecting data that long you know it really gives us a, a chance to see that era and then phases and steps in this this industry moving forward will be different but this gives us a snapshot of the foundational work that was done to launch the entire industry so some pretty exciting stuff i'm it'll take me a long time to really dig through each uh, research piece and pull out every single thing but I, I'm getting a pretty good handle on this first one and what Rosemary was finding, but, but here are the four components and this is just kind of stated to in her introduction as the premise. The aim of this research was to explore the relationship between client perceived client practitioner relationships and its effect on weight loss and weight maintenance in online weight loss of clients and nutrition coaches. The specific research questions were how is the quality of the client practitioner relationship, frequency of contact during the maintenance phase, and the help with assimilating health and fitness into the client's new life associated with weight loss and weight maintenance. Uh, Two, to A, how are different weight-related behaviors associated with weight loss and weight maintenance? So that gets into more, um, some of the quantitative stuff we'll do later. Uh, B, how are eating behaviors associated with weight loss and weight maintenance? And then the, the third or, or, you know, fourth component, how is the quality of the client practitioner relationship frequency of contact during the maintenance phase and the help and the help with assimilating health and information into the client's new life associated with eating behaviors. So, it, you know, it, that, that's for going on into weight maintenance instead of just weight loss. So the, the focus here, if you're going to pick out one phrase, Uh, And that's why I kind of emphasize it in my tone. The aim of this research was to explore the relationship between the client perceived client practitioner relationship. So these were surveys and interviews with clients where they are retrospectively saying, here's what my experience was like. Here's what I learned. Here's what I did. Here's what I've been able to take with me, including the the tangible results, but it's from their perspective. The second study done by Ariel was from the perspective of the coaches. And that was interesting. Um, Eric and I talked about that. And that does truly get into some social science, into your perceptions of your own intelligence and value and how well you do as a professional, as a a coach. So totally separate from this, this is from the client's perspective. So uh, in just the literature review portion, I I think there's some some really good things of value for us to review. As research shows that weight control relies on complex interactions between genetic, biological, psychological, environmental, social, and cultural processes, it follows that interventions solely focused on nutrient intake or solely on habits and behaviors may not change patients' underlying values or ideas around stress and eating. Long-term weight loss may therefore not be possible without also addressing the cognitive and emotional aspects of eating habits. Individuals who pursue self-directed weight loss may not learn the importance of weight related behaviors or how to improve psychological eating behaviors. And thus, without professional guidance, may have a more challenging time with long-term weight control. So again, as kind of an extension of Rosemary's premise. Uh, two things I, I totally agree a uh, matter of fact, I saw a great post today by a, a fellow coach um, who jokingly said, I can't believe it's 2022. And some coaches think all you have to do is give people macros, like give people numbers. And so Rosemary here says that, you know, weight loss is such a complex thing between biology and sociology and psychology and environment and culture that solely f- focusing on nutrient intake or solely on behaviors is just probably not going to cut it and then of course she backs it up with a very robust literature review you know that's why this study is more than 100 pages uh it's 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 not just um, it's not just a a study you know her her survey study it's literally outlining the whole problem and doing a literature review so her final sentence here is that somebody who is self-directed is just not going to have the advantage of the guidance. You know, a a good coach brings something of of tremendous value to the table or potentially can, you know, that's what we would hope for in this study is to explore what that advantage really is if there is one. So notably the most successful weight maintenance observations to date were from the look ahead action for health and diabetes, the acronym study, which included over 5,000 participants, randomized to receive either ongoing practitioner-led maintenance coaching or usual care. At the eight-year follow-up, over 25% of participants receiving the maintenance phase coaching were still maintaining their initial weight loss of greater than 10% of body weight, and over 50% were maintaining a clinically meaningful weight loss of greater than 5% both of which were significantly greater than usual care. So this is big. This is a, this is a theme sentence, so to speak in this research in this particular, cause we've, we've done research reviews where anecdotally, or as, as just a, a tentacle of whatever research we were looking at, I remember a couple that, you know, one dealt with hunger and dieting, one dealt with biofeedback mechanisms and hunger and, uh, I remember particularly one study where if, if you wanted to, after the study, you could continue with a year of support. So even though these participants in an eight or 16 week study, 12 week study, it's like, here, you've done your job. Great. Good luck. Here's your paycheck. Um, but they said, Hey, if you want to keep going, you know, it's just kind of part of the camaraderie of the study and you guys being participants. If If you want some, you know, a year of coaching, a year of kind of debriefing, we'd be happy to do that, which which is amazing. I mean, what a, what a great thing. And then that actually became part of the study because the people who took advantage of that, they kept their weight off at a substantially higher degree. And so it's like, whoa, wait a second. We, that wasn't even part of the study, but we found something here, like people who had some level of support in this particular field, in this genre, it, it was meaningful. So this study, 5,000 participants, that's a high study group, eight years is a massive amount of time to consider for weight loss recidivism or, or success. And um, you, you know, we, we consider it in diet research greater than 10% weight loss. We, we consider that significant. Like that's kind of the benchmark. If somebody loses greater than 10% of their body weight, that math is pretty easy, yeah. I'm 180 pounds. That'd be me losing 18 pounds. If you lose that much and you keep it off for a year, that's a big deal. That's, that's a benchmark that not a lot of people achieve. Matter of fact, I think at the end of one year, about 50% of people have gained their weight back at the end of two years, 80% of people have gained their weight back at the end of five years. I believe it's more than 90%. So because these people had ongoing support 25% kept more than 10% of their, their weight off 50% kept more than 5%. So that's a pretty big deal. So in part of Rosemary's literature review, she's making the case that some form of counseling and coaching and support does exist. And um, you know, there is this new thing called nutrition coaching, online nutrition, coaching, you know, health coaches, nutrition coaches, but also there has been research in these fields prior and not, it's not, it's, it's not super popular research. I, it, I haven't seen a lot of this cited and going through Rosemary's literature review, uh, it was very enlightening. There, there is quite a bit there in, in that, you know, they don't, they'll call it coaching. That's kind of a new thing. But if you're looking at research in the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there have been studies where they do look at counseling and support and so forth And I think part of that may have been inspired. This is just my, my thought, Uh, you know, because we know Weight Watchers has been around forever and, you know, that was kind of their bedrock premise, right? Like you, you come in, you're part of this group. It's almost like a 12 step group. And um, you know, you have ongoing support. So let's, uh, let's move along. Um, A large randomized control of 314 participants, by wing at all compared weight maintenance in a control group receiving quarterly newsletters so this is kind of interesting to another study in in this lit review um so some people were receiving quarterly newsletters like hey rah rah here's here's some tips you know just in this little newsletter um and then another group was getting face-to-face or online weight maintenance intervention so true human support um and and that emphasized weight maintenance behavior, such as daily self-weighing and self-regulation. And the face-to-face intervention resulted in improved weight maintenance compared to the control group. Uh, the weight gain of only uh, 2.4 kilograms compared to 4.9, so twice as effective if you are getting a real live person there to support you. Um, in over 18 months, the percentage of subjects who regained 2.3 kilograms or more was significantly higher in the control group compared to the face-to-face, et cetera. So again, just more, more data show that, you know, there, there is something to having that support. A study by Svetke and colleagues randomized over a thousand successful weight loss maintainers into an intervention consistently, consisting of either monthly personal contact with a weight loss practitioner, 10 to 15 minute phone calls, unlimited access to a tech based maintenance intervention or a self-directed control group. So again, no, no support, self-directed and followed them for two years. At 30 months, those in the personal contact group regained significantly less weight than those in the self-directed control group. Similarly, a study by Wing and colleagues compared weight in its phase, blah, blah, blah. So same thing, you know, study after study after study after study shows that coaching, I- I'm going to say, because this it's not discussed in the literature review. Nobody said like these, these coaches were better than these coaches or this method was better than this. It's just having somebody there that you could, you could talk to and get information. Um, so I already kind of mentioned that, uh, indeed a meta-analysis of 29 studies found more than half the weight loss was regained within two years or the 80% was regained at five years. Okay. So there's, I was, I was slightly off when I mentioned that earlier. Um, so now the method, so now we're going to get into Rosemary's actual method for this particular study. In in our pool of former clients and coaches, this cross-sectional qualitative study aimed to explore the experiences of weight loss clients when working with a weight loss coach to gain insight into how their perceived relationship with their practitioner affected their success with weight loss maintenance. Interview participants were former or current clients of the Diet Doc, a US-based weight loss coaching company in which coaches are trained in a consistent manner in an attempt to align with current evidence-based weight loss practice. Further, coaches have access to a multidisciplinary team of support consultants, including medical doctors, dietitians, physical therapists, strength and conditioning specialists. Participants in this study had to be 18 years or older and maintaining at least 10% body weight loss from when they worked with the diet doc. Um, practitioners and employees of the diet doc and their families were excluded, blah, blah, blah. So, the semi structured interviews last about 45 minutes, and questions explore the topics following topics, such as their initial motive for hiring a diet doc coach, expectations of working with a weight loss practitioner, experiences of weight loss and weight loss maintenance, uh, behaviors and lifestyle during and after working with a diet doc coach, relationship with food, and supported experience during weight loss and maintenance phases. So um so so this is I we actually this is something that I wish we could report better on, but I was able to provide them a database, like I said, of tens of thousands of people. And that doesn't mean that every single person in our database would meet criteria. They wanted them, for example, as you just heard, to be over 18 years old, which most are, of course. Um to have maintained their weight loss of 10% or greater. So we're already pre-qualifying that these people had some level of success. Uh, but, you know, some people haven't worked with us. You know, some of these people go back 20, 25 years. Um, you have the uh, issue of who, who's going to actually respond to a, a survey request. You know, uh, we, we emailed them directly or I gave the database to the researchers and they emailed them. Um, we were allowed to post this on our social media as they were, and it was a call for participation and research. And so if you participate, you know, here's what we're asking you to do, fill out the survey that'll take about 15 minutes. Um, and then if, if you were selected or if you agreed to do an actual interview, then that was kind of another step up. So we wanted to get as many interviews as possible and as much of the actual, surveys as possible. So I I have to say, I I was hurt a little bit, you know, hurt my feelings that only six people qualified and wanted to do the interviews. But I I do get it. Like if somebody just emailed me and said, Hey, you just bought a car from so-and-so dealership. Would you do a 45 minute interview? I'd be like, like, no, like I'll give you a two second statement or something like I like the car, but, you know, I mean, this is a lot to ask of people, uh, but we did get over a hundred and some, um, of the surveys by selecting out, and I I keep saying we, it's not me, I'm not involved in this study, but the researchers using, using our, our pool of of former clients, uh, you know, they, they were able to use almost a hundred, but so so we're we're a, a huge, 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 um, weakness of this study is that you only got six interviews and you know, out of tens of thousands of people, 20 to 25 years, you certainly can't say, wow, we found something definitive. What you can do is look at this as almost six anecdotal people, six people were willing to talk about this. How many had good experiences? How many wish their experiences had been better? Um, like I said, I wish we had 600, but we have six. And one of the things that I like that Rosemary did was she used a lot of quotes. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of quotes from these six participants. And I think because they are so consistent, even though there are only six, it, it does give us a pretty good picture. So it just happened to work out that there were three male, three female average age, 55 years old, uh, worked with us up to two years, uh, six months, two years, three of them worked with us for two years. Uh, the amount of years since working with their coach with us all the way up to 13 years ago, that's remarkable that somebody would want to, you know, the 11 and 13 year, even eight, nine, you know, do that. So, um, so there we go. That's, that's the, the, Population that that went through the actual interviews next week when we do the quantitative analysis of actual weight loss and behaviors and in doing statistical analysis on what that means, that's dealing with the survey. So then when you look at those almost hundred people and we can say, okay, they lost this much weight. Here's what they related to. Here's what they perceived was were the most important factors. And and Rosemary and and Eric analyzed exactly how much you know value or significance you can weigh to that. That's that's all coming up next week. Today is just these six people doing deep interviews and 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 having a a recall opportunity on what the experience was like in those initial four research questions that Rosemary listed. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple quotes here because uh, as Rosemary decided after, and I know what it's like to write a book or a literature review or try to interpret research that you're gathering in real time, and you start connecting some dots, you start seeing some themes. So her first theme was in like, why did you even decide to do this to the client? Uh, they all described it as a life-defining event, and those of you who have been involved in our research reviews in the past. I mean, this should, this should resonate because I talk all the time that people who just on a whim, like, yeah, I think I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to go hire somebody, or I'm going to do a diet, buy a book, whatever I'm going to, you know, just, it's just kind of an afterthought. You may as well not because, because losing weight, getting into that metabolic switch, metabolic positioning, uh, opportunity physiologically, it takes some mental bandwidth. It takes some work. It takes, it takes more than people think. And so it doesn't surprise me that these people who had lost 10% or more of their weight and kept it off for up to 13 years, they said it was, it was a big deal to them. It was a life-defining event to make this decision and hire a coach. And I think if we can't all say that, if we're clients or if we as coaches have clients and then we can't get them to be in that headspace, it is a big disadvantage. So I'll I'll read some of these quotes. Um, This one person said, "I, I, I had just had a major health scare. So ultimately, it was about having more years left in my life and doing what I needed to do. That's why I hired a diet coach. Another person turning 70, you know, was big. I mean, it's just like, it's funny that she used the exact words here, like the transcript. It's like I was going through retirement. I lost my dad. I mean, we had a lot of stuff going on. And when I just kind of picked myself up again, it was like, okay, we've got a lot of life left to live here. So let's do it right. Uh, I love that. I mean, I just love that, that people like that's, that was their attitude. This was a big deal. Another participant said I was ready. I guess finally was ready, which is a huge, huge thing. And I agree. Um, another person, I had really been trying to lose weight most of my life, not really successful, you know, just not having enough knowledge. Another person, the knowledge that I gained that was that was the first time that was the first time I'd ever done any serious study of nutrition. They really educated me well on it. And then another person, it was all down to what they taught you. What she taught me. I got what I learned from them. And it was just, you know, this is where you have to behave if you want to maintain. So now they have moved from, and this is kind of the second point uh, in Rosemary's research. It was not just a life defining event. Uh, They viewed their diet doc coach as a teacher and a guide. And that was always the premise of my company. I mean, from day one, when I was 27 years old, matter of fact, my first client ever sat across the table from for nutrition consulting, I was 24. But when I was, what I had made it my entire career and business model, bought a facility, and this is what I was doing full-time, I was 27 years old, and it was all about the education. It was all about teaching people the science, here are the myths, here, here's what you don't want to do. And it has to be a participatory learning process, you have to learn something. My job is to teach you to become independent with your own health and weight maintenance. And of course, when we started our licensing program and I'm, I'm developing a staff to help develop other coaches in our licensed ecosphere, you know, that, that was what was the, the company culture it was very, very technocratic. We are teachers. We are showing you the science. That's why, even in my first book going back to two thousand eight, or maybe it was even earlier than that, um, you know, is the building blocks of nutrition. and I explain metabolic positioning, which is a, a form of of explaining the metabolic switch physiologically and 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 just tracking macronutrients. I mean that's t- to me, that's a big part of this premise. even though Rosemary here is talking about, and you're gonna see this in the next couple quotes, the the client practitioner relationship, that relationship is built on a knowledge transfer. Here's what you need to know. I'm not going to just give you a meal plan and tell you what to do. You're going to learn stuff. That has always been the central company ethic in teaching macronutrient tracking. And, And through the years, as most of you know, we've kind of softened that into an approach of well, let's help clients with where they are. Everybody doesn't need to start at the same point. Maybe they don't start with that. And we kind of gravitate in a little bit of a different pathway toward something more appropriate for them. But in these beginning stages, especially, you know, these clients that were from 13 and 11 years ago, nine years ago, uh, they are rightly recalling an emphasis on education. So I think I got a couple more here. Uh So this is just Rosemary's uh, summary of this section on the teacher and guide aspect of coaching participants viewed their client practitioner relationship as a long-term relationship. Clients kept in touch with their coaches long after they finished their professional relationship, even up to 13 years later, being connected through social media, particularly Facebook and Facebook groups run by the coach allowed the coaches to be in continual presence in, in the client's lives Clients also spoke of their ability to reach out to their coaches at any time after the professional coach coaching had ended and how their coaches would check in with them and help them with problems. Then a participant, uh, direct quote, it's more of a friendship than a client relationship. Another uh, participant here, it's a relationship that we forged and it's still very important. I'm not just checking in as often. I got to tell you, like right here, this, this is me winning like like my 25 year career when i can have former clients who say it's a friendship it's a relationship that was the most important uh you know aspect of this i don't even know who these clients are like, i got not they're, they're not even my clients They're you know could be other coaches who have even long gone from our company but at the same time having created a company where this was transferred as the company ethic, that's, that's a big deal to me. I mean, I got to say like this, that's what I would hope was, was transferred. I know it's not in every case. I know every coach is different. I know every client relationship is different. But out of these six people who responded, they certainly got what I had intended. And, and that's the importance of this study because it's not just us, we're certainly not the only game in town, uh, quite far from it. As this industry continues to grow, this is the standard that we want. These are the best practices. This is the place inside of a nutrition coach's scope of practice they can shine. And it's the most important thing. It is that client relationship. It is that trust. It's what as Rosemary correctly perceived, uh, their perception of that relationship. And a client can't perceive a good, warm, healthy relationship unless that coach is responding as such, you know, proactively and so forth From, from the teaching and guiding to the true compassion and empathy. So, Back to the competency part, back to the technocratic transference of actual knowledge. Coaching with the diet doc helped participants act as their own coach, which was one of our taglines. I mean, I used to say, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you'd hear me say that 10 times an hour. I want you to become your own coach. It's in our first books. It's in all of our curriculum. My goal is to help you become your own best coach. But <laughs> I will say now, after reading this research It does seem that my goal of like independence, hey, you've done it. You've learned everything you need. Fly the nest, go, you're free. That's not exactly the answer. The second half of my career has been focused on teaching our coaches to create community that extends beyond their weight loss phase because as Howard Schultz of Starbucks famously said, people need like a third space. You got your home life, your work life. Then we all typically have some hobby or community or group that we kind of identify with and um you know for a lot of people as you'll see in the next set of slides they're they are becoming new people and they're becoming healthier or they're becoming health conscious and if they don't have a community to stay plugged into not fly the nest and be dependent, then it's not as effective and so that's one thing that i'm glad in the last several years i've i've noted and kind of steered our company in that direction. But, but I did like that they, they reported this, at least from this phase of our history, coaching with the diet doc helped participants act as their own coach. And they felt they had learned nutrition and mindset tools and how to internalize accountability. This led to increased confidence in the participants' ability to maintain their weight over a long time and their ability to lose more weight if they wanted. Weight gain was seen as less intimidating as now they felt they had the tools to return to the weight they desired. Feelings of internalized accountability. How many times do I talk about internal, like intrinsic motivation? Internalized accountability were cited as reasons clients were able to continue successful weight control without daily input from their coaches. Food diaries and macro tracking were the main self-accountability tools used long-term after coaching finished. Most participants either continued tracking food well after reaching their goals or would, would start tracking food at any time they felt they needed to get their diet back under control. Control. Uh, And that, you know, that that goes along with a lot of research. Um, when you look at the four or five top behaviors that are common denominators for successful weight loss maintainers, there's always some form of food tracking, some kind of objectivity. Uh, there's, there's continued weight maintenance or or not weight maintenance, a weight monitoring, you know, just keeping an eye on that bottom line. There's always a thread of consistent, intentional exercise, um, ironically this always shows up and it's so weird i get it but it's still kind of weird uh like eating a good breakfast like setting the tone for the day in the national weight control registry in this study eating breakfast you know a good protein um, kind of based breakfast so i i know the research i've taught it to you guys in the past there are tons of studies that show you know eating different types of breakfast and then even in just a, a completely un tracked ad libitum way of eating later in the day, you know, people just instantly eat less food, usually around 400 calories less just because I had a better breakfast. So um, that's, that's important. Uh, but anyway, uh, helpful tools for long-term maintenance included exercise, uh, food logs and the practice practice of food tracking, following macro targets, meal prep time, drinking water, prioritizing protein and regular weighing. coach is also credited with helping clients change their mindset around weight loss with control, with which contributed to the success of weight loss maintenance. Mindful eating was a common mindset change followed by the recognizing of food value as fuel or nourishment. So, I, I mean, everybody talks about this now. You know, we, since we, we pioneered this whole thing starting 25 to 30 years ago, you know, a lot of the things we were doing, we were just surmising or brainstorming, like what, what do we need? And, and we're obviously being sensitive to our clients' results But, you know, bringing in a a psychology piece and mindset, that was a big part of our company's history. And, and, you know, that, that continues. And I I think so many people, even if, even a nutrition coach who doesn't have a background in psychology, I I have a master's in social psychology. um, And, you know, we've had other people in the company at different levels, but, you know you, there's so much information out there like you can learn as a coach how to do motivational interviewing you can learn to be a better listener you can learn um you know all kinds of things that that help you just be a better more compassionate coach and to help look with clients this is one of the things i teach our clients we certify you're not a physician you're not a mental health therapist But within your scope of practice, you can ask great questions. You can help clients uncover blind spots that they have or places where they are exhibiting some uncontrolled emotional dissonance with their eating behaviors and their attitudes toward food. You can help them identify those. You can discuss those. You're not diagnosing anything. You're not trying to create some kind of a curative approach. But it's just so rare for a coach today not to include some kind of behavioral component, even just in their conversations. So you know that shows up here as well, which I think is important. Participants, this is this is so huge, so huge, guys. I, I talk about this one with you ad nauseum as well. The fact that um, I, I, one one of my favorite things to tell people is. You want to lose 100 pounds. You want to lose 50 pounds. You want this big change in your life. That is not the finish line. You cannot look at that as the goal. You need to start becoming that person today. When I lose 100 pounds, what will my life be like? I need to start doing that today, much like the old social cultural mantra uh, if you want what somebody else has, do what they do you want to what do people who have lost 100 pounds what do they do how do they eat how do they how do they view exercise what are their behaviors that's who you are starting today on day one of your weight loss journey and this came across in this research participants spoke of their lifestyle post weight loss as their new normal and coaches were credited with kickstarting participants on this path toward health and wellness. Uh, with changing the client's mindset around health and wellness and how it's incorporated into who they were as a person so here's a quote from one of the participants in the research now it's kind of like this is the new normal and this is the new me it's actually the old me which some of them don't remember i remember this as me talking about like people in his life or her life I remember this is me. I've always thought, you know, this me was inside here. So what a a great way of saying, yeah, thank you, Laney. Like I knew this me was in here somewhere and now it's who I really am. I'm a better version of that old me, but I'm, and that makes me a new me, but I'm still me. I mean, I know that sounds like very, maybe hard to follow, but I think you get it this person is putting together those two pieces that this has to be a new identity, but it's still you. You know, It's not like you went through hypnosis, you did the work, you deserve the credit, you have polished these parts of your personality and, and you added new skills. So, so it is a new identity. And I think that is also critical as came across in the research. These new worlds, And roles clients took on after coaching contributed to further accountability as clients spoke of needing to walk the walk or feeling a kind of peer pressure or uh, belonging to that group. So as you guys know, peer pressure is hopefully mostly positive. It can be negative, can be horribly negative. But if you're doing it for a good reason, for a good result, then that kind of social constructed self-felt peer pressure is good it's how we make progress because what for whatever reason internal and external we've decided we want to be a better version If, if we just followed the path of least resistance would we just not eat whatever we want whenever we want whatever tastes best you know high fat high sugar foods it's just what's good so why not eat it all the time if i'm showing any responsibility or restraint it's because i feel i want that for some reason and we can have all the intrinsic motivation in the world. And I hope we're building that muscle, but it still does help. This is where the community comes into play. Uh, communitas in, you know, ancient language. Um, and and that, that creates that positive accountability, which is just another way of saying positive supports. Like I have a support group and these people care about me and I care about them and, and I'm going to help them as well. And part of that means that I'm going to walk the walk. So very, very important there. So these four themes, we're kind of wrapping this up. This is just the beginning. This is looking at not just the literature review portion of Rosemary's study. Uh, I hope I'm doing a good job. I don't know if she'll ever see this or not as I'm trying to interpret what she just spent the year of her life doing. Um, But these four themes from the six people that were interviewed at length, they got involved because it was a life defining event for them. Uh, they really honed in on the fact that working with a diet.coach was far more about the relationship than anything. That's what they took away as the most impactful. They, they absolutely felt like they had increased competency to a level. They could become their own best nutrition coach. They could use these tools and come back to them when they needed. That was part of them being able to successfully maintain their weight loss as they did, and they identified with this whole process with a sense of newness. Like I, I have become the better version of myself. And that was my goal. I'm here. I love it. I'm keeping it. So I, I just think that was exceptional. I, I have to say, after reading this, I, I'm sure Eric is proud uh, because even just the writing throughout this study was just exceptional. So, uh, you know, Rosemary did a great job. She's graduated now once, once this research is concluded and published and so forth, you know, they're already out of school, but, um, chapter four, which is the next phase of this particular study is when we get into, as I said, the quantitative exploration of the client practitioner relationship and its effect. So now how much did you lose? What was that process like? That is what we will get to next week. So this really fit well. The series that we're doing right now on diet efficacy, uh, it really just fit perfectly into it. So uh, it, it was kind of good timing. Um, so in the scope of what we're doing, this is actually part four. If you haven't seen the previous three, you might like them. We're talking about in, in diet efficacy, what, what makes a diet successful? You know, what's, what, what are the best ways of dieting? What does the research show us? Uh, uh, where can we steer our own interests as coaches or as weight losers, you know, the the person who would be doing this, you know, what should I be thinking about is our, you know, is, is a low fat diet better than a low carb diet or vice versa? What about meal timing? What about intermittent fasting? What about this? What about that? These are all the things. And these two studies do tell us a lot and they fit in. Uh, Into the series, this one, of course, being the fact that, as Rosemary said, self-directed weight loss pales in comparison to guided coached weight loss, especially, obviously, if the coach is good, if the coach does take the time to build that relationship and make it not just about the technical aspects, but those plus the quality relationship. So. I will wrap it up there uh, and let you guys please jump in with any questions because like I said, it, it took me two days when Eric gave me these links. It took me two days to even open them because I was so freaking scared <laughs> of, what, of what this would say about my my entire 25 year career and company. Um, but so far so good. I, I, we do learn some things in the quantitative part that are more than fair, you know, some ways you know, dieting is tough. It's tough for people for many, many reasons. And, you know, when you hire diet.coach or me personally, it's not just magical that you're gonna, you're gonna have immediate and great forever success. Uh, but our stats, you know, beat the averages. Um, but there are still places that everybody can improve as an industry. And, and I'll be happy to share those uh, next, next week. But that's, that's this week, uh, in terms of the, uh, the long term qualitative interviews. Would be very happy to hear what you guys have to say. I'm just thinking proud of you guys. I don't have anything great to say, but it doesn't surprise me. But I can't leave without saying, way to go. Well, thank you. You guys are awesome. So, yeah, you should be proud. Like I said, coaches over 20 years did this. So a lot, lot of good people with great hearts who have always been in it for the right reasons. All right. Well, on to uh, part two next week, I'll post links to the actual studies because it, it is fun to go through it's something that's, a, like I said, 100 pages and has so much literature review content. It really does um, just give you a good wide scope of the entire research you know, that's been out there. So you guys have an awesome weekend. I will see you next week if you can make it and uh, look forward to chatting again soon.